This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your we should be at Cubs convention, but we aren't. Again, home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and baseball, or maybe no baseball, whatever's going on these days at Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, Andy is off today, but we're thrilled to be joined by, you know, basically just like our latest co-host who's who's here all the time now, friend of the show, Danny Rocket from the Sun Ranto podcast. How's it going, Danny? Hey, well, I'm I'm missing CubsCon tonight. I walked around Wrigley today and I felt a little sad knowing I wasn't going to see you and Crawley and Brett Taylor and Evan Altman and all the usual suspects at Lizzie McNeil's tonight as we party down and and talk Cubs and en- enjoy each other. And, but uh, hey, at, at, at least, you know, it looks like the Cubs made a good decision canceling it. <laughs> this year because uh, let's face it it's not looking good out there right now so um so uh, you know but i do miss everybody and you're right we should be there we should be partying together but and there should be there should be a baseball season coming up but we're not sure about that either (laughs) yeah we're definitely going to get into whether or not there should be a baseball season i was just thinking about the fact that we should all be at lizzie mcneil's we should all be totally wasted by this point i mean it should be really the part of the night where we're just starting, we're just getting ready and getting into our own before some, somebody embarrasses themselves. It would not be me, by the way, it would be somebody else. <laughs> it's 7 15 PM right now. So we, we, we wouldn't be totally wasted yet, but we would, we'd be a couple pops in wait, uh, we're getting ready to uh, welcome Tom Ricketts to the stage as we do it. <laughs> okay. To be clear, some of our friends would be wasted, but we'll let the listeners at home guess who <laughs> decide those which would one. Be. <laughs> I may, Dan- I may or may not have a flask on me usually at Cubs Con, so. <laughs> Danny and I would be sober until later, but everybody else, no, I'm yeah, just We kidding. have work to do. Seriously, definitely missing everyone. Wish we were at Cubs Con with the frozen river and all that jazz, but we are not. Uh, we're not at Cubs Con for two reasons. As Danny alluded, the Omicron surge probably would have canceled Cubs Con anyway, but the original reason that we're not at Cubs Con is because there is an MLB lockout still going on. I'm calling it Rob Manfred's lockout. I'm going to I'm gonna do some branding here. It is Rob Manfred's lockout. He owns it. I'm so annoyed at the fact that every time I turn around, there's like nothing happening, although they did talk Thursday, and we'll get into what those discussions did not um, result in in a second. I am, can we all just admit that Manfred's whole line about how the lockout would speed up negotiations is just a lie. It has sped up nothing. There's been one substantive conversation on economic issues since December 1st. It is January 14th. Get it together. And it lasted an hour, the reports say. And it's like one of those things. It's like, couldn't this have been an email? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I understand it, it. It didn't seem like a serious offer. Like it's the same as we knew before. Players want five years. Owners want to keep it at six years until somebody's a free agent. The 30-year-old thing is, 
it's like a non-starter for the owners. So it just they just keep coming up to each other and telling each other what they want again. And it's the same thing as before. And then there's no movement. And until, I mean, I understand what Manfred is means by the lockout will maybe put pressure on people to be like, this is serious. We have to do this. But at the same time, you have to negotiate. Negotiation is giving up something to get something. And it doesn't seem like that's happening. Like I, I, it, the main tenets that they're arguing about, could change if there was like a like a serious give on the owner's part like raise the minimum salary from 500,000 to to a million and 1. then 1.5 million who's it going to hurt 1.5 yeah whatever yeah whatever uh, just do that and then have a salary floor try to prevent tanking like do a huge give and then say but 5 years and then maybe they go for it you know, I don't know, but either way, you can't just come back to the table with the same old crap you said the last time and expect a different result. It's it's absolute insanity. And now they're going to wait till the last possible minute till they start to and they've done they've run they've run the numbers. They know how much they're losing per day and how much spring training is worth and how much you know they can pack a season together. They've already run the numbers, so I I, I don't and the players probably haven't as much as the owners have because they're the ones that own the quants, but it's, it's frustrating as a fan. And uh, I know we're not, we're on team player because we cheer them and we don't cheer owners when they come to the park, but um, it's, it's frustrating as a fan to see there be no movement at all. And like really no hope of movement. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you respond to I'm, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. I, it's so early in the show. I'm already out of rant. <laughs> it's okay. The rants are going to come fast and furious. I want to break down this MLB proposal a little bit. Jeff Passan has a pretty good article on this. And look, some of these things are not contentious. For example, the, the players want there to be a universal DH. They've wanted there to be a universal DH for a while because it means there are more opportunities for guys who are good at hitting, but maybe less good at defense to go out and get a job. It's more roster spots. It's more money, right? The only reason we don't have a universal DH in the major leagues right now is because MLB has been holding on to that carrot so they could use it in these negotiations and say, look, we gave you something that you wanted. It's something they've been sitting on. Expanded playoffs is kind of similar. The players don't want too many teams in. The, the owners would like more. This is all about negotiating posture to try to figure out, hey, at what cutoff point is good enough to get into the postseason? I think we all just saw from the Atlanta Braves, what happens when a team that can hover around 500 for the vast majority of the season gets hot at the right moment and wins the World Series? I don't know that I love that. I don't love the idea that you can just kind of stitch together an 84-win team and get hot in October, but who knows? That's probably a better path for the Cubs to win a World Series in the next couple of years <laughs> than anything else. So maybe I am on board for that, at least in the short term. Those are none of those types of problems are the thing that is holding up the possibility for an MLB season. What's holding up the possibility for an MLB season is the core economics of the sport. What Danny talked about earlier, how much are we paying players who make the, the league minimum? How many years do they have before they get to arbitration? What happens to those super two players that get called up like on the precise right day to make sure that they don't get a full year of service time for all of the work that they do in a given season and 
what happens with free agency? Are you a free agent after five seasons? Are you a free agent after six seasons? I find it sort of incredible that Randy Rosarena has been playing in this league forever and he was rookie of the year eligible last year. Like the way that MLB counts some of this stuff is just sort well, of Frank Schwindel got votes. I mean, you know, it, it it's uh, Patrick Wisdom. Uh, they're all in their 30s. So it's yeah, it's they're using that situation to their advantage. The owners are. And why wouldn't you? And they're always looking for the inefficiency by where they can maximize their profits. Totally. Because baseball, <laughs> baseball is a capitalist game. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, to be a major league baseball team owner, you have to be one of the most extreme of all the extreme capitalists. That is how you got the billions of dollars that allowed you to afford the team, which brings me to why I just find the owner's position on this so incredulous, the idea that because a team exists in Tampa Bay or St. Louis or Kansas City or Pittsburgh, that that somehow fundamentally precludes the Pirates or the Royals from signing franchise players and free agents is asinine and a lot. It's BS. It's not yeah, it's true. Well, look at the Pirates, and and that's the uh, the example that most Cub fans will be familiar with because we faced them in the wild card in 2015. They made the the postseason by, by making the wild card game those few, couple times, and then they had a decent team. They had all that pitching, and they just ended up being the farm team for like the Astros and like the rest of the league. And uh, if they had signed even a couple of those players built around them, uh, they could have stayed at the top at least a little bit longer with the players they had. These were not. They, and they traded these guys not before they were reaching the end of their contracts and their, uh, the end of their uh, control by the Pirates. They traded them after just a couple years of that, you know, and they would let let them go. Not even like a last minute trade like we saw with the, the Cubs last year where it's like everybody was expiring within the next three months and they're gone. The Pirates were doing that even earlier. So the, the owners are arguing that if they've got a, a – give players five years instead of six years that now these small, these poor small market teams aren't going to be able to retain these players for more than a couple years. And then they're gone. Uh, well, that's what they're doing anyway, under current rules, the Rays too, the Rays, the the pirates, these small market teams that have found this in this efficiency. We're like, well, we'll make a go at it with a bunch of rookies. And if it doesn't work out, we're going to trade them after two, three years and they'll be off for more prospects. And we'll keep loading the farm up. And if and they just keep that cycle going. And so it's in practice, it's already what the owners say they're trying to avoid happening is already happening. So I don't want to hear it because it's it's like I feel like I'm getting um you, you know, gaslighted by these guys. They're like, "Well, we want to prevent this." I'm like, "But you do that." <laughs> you know? What are you well, talking about? And, and I want to get to the flip side of this because you're absolutely right. The Pirates already did this. We watched it happen. Like Starling Marte gone, Andrew McCutcheon gone, like Garrett Cole gone, like all of these all of these players gone. Right, like. Glass now. Remember when Glass now was a pirate? Like that was a thing yeah. gone. Uh, the pirates are one thing; they trade all their talent. But the there are contracts that exist that show these small market and mid market teams signing franchise player. Sal Perez has a four year contract 
where he's making 18.5 million AAV with an option for a fifth year, yada, yada. By the way, he was worth every penny of that contract and the Cubs should use it as a model to sign Wilson Contreras tomorrow. The second the lockout ends, the Cubs should offer the Sal Perez deal to Wilson Contreras. And that should just be a done deal. And we should never talk about trading Wilson Contreras ever again, but that's another podcast. I, there are deals that, that disprove the, the thesis of the idea that these teams cannot afford these contracts. The Rays just extended Wander Franco. The Rays are the team constantly saying they don't have the money to do any of this. It is a lie. These are billionaire owners. They are choosing not to spend on their players because they know they can take that money, put it in their pockets instead, and they're still going to be just fine because of TV deals and licensing and $400 Nike jerseys and everything else. And and also they share the money too amongst them, uh, you know, within the structure of everything. So, uh, you know, they they've got like billionaire socialism as well. You know, they're like, oh yeah, spread the wealth. You know, chicken in every pot up in billionaire land. Um, but you know, it's the thing that bothers me the most about the the idea. Getting back to what you said about the Braves, eighty four wins, you know, getting in is like that makes. And I don't know, maybe I don't, maybe I would rather a more competitive, evenly balanced major leagues that, that, that would be an achieve something to achieve like in 2015 with, with the pirates and the Cardinals, like fight 97 wins was good enough for third place at a second wild card for the Cubs. So, you know, you look at a situation like that and you could have some really exciting pennant races, races. If everybody is like could be just above a 500 team. And really the only difference is the fact that you got maybe had an injury or a guy didn't perform or you know, something else like that, but that it was a very competitive league. I think that would be way better than what we have now, which is powerhouses and tanking. So you have uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers spending 300 million and they're going to try to get every win they can out of that division. They needed it last year. They needed 105 wins just to win the division. So, uh, yeah, but that's kind of ridiculous because then they go and beat up all these small teams. That's not that interesting to me. Now we're looking at, you know, kind of how football works or basketball can work sometimes, you know, where you just have these powerhouse squads and they go against like, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters versus the generals sometimes is what you're looking at. But I don't want to see that that much. So part of me agrees with that, the premise that all teams should be have the potential to be better than 500. All teams should have that all said. That would be interesting to me. But what it is in practice and why they want to do it is because they don't have to spend a lot of money like the Dodgers on every single possible win. You, you know, you don't need 106 wins. You need 84. And then you get your chance. And they're always saying that. They're always preaching that. Well, you know, you get in, you get your chance. It's like, no, you need three great pitchers. You need a closer. You know, I mean, there's things you need. It's not just like, <laughs> well, anybody can go to the playoffs. It's like, no. They, they, you couldn't have put last year's pirates in the playoffs accidentally and had them go anywhere. Like that's not how it works. So, uh, but they're always preaching that. And the reason they're preaching that is because they don't want to spend the money and it's, it's not about competitiveness. Maybe it is a little bit for the players. It is. And that's the appeal to them to, to have it be that way, have something like a salary cap or a tax or whatever they want to call it. But, uh, I think more what would do, uh, what would solve that problem is to 
raise the floor so you cannot have a $35 million payroll in the major leagues. That is illegal. You have to have $100 million, and if you have less than that, now you're paying a tax. You got a tax to go under. No, or you got to give the money to someone else in your division. Yeah, I don't know. Something. I just think they should lose revenue sharing dollars if they don't hit a certain amount of spending. Like if you right. didn't spend $100 million on your team. And yes, I think the salary floor should be $100 million. You all yeah, figure I out how to make that work. I think if you own a major league baseball team, you can spend $100 million on that roster. That's the floor. If you don't hit it for some reason, you lose the revenue sharing money. You lose something. You lose a draft pick. You lose something. I don't know. Something that matters to these owners. Because right now what they want to do is say, we would like a situation where we can game the cheapest scenario possible. The Yankees can try to pretend that they're going to be the Tampa Bay Rays and put and like win with a $65 million payroll and jettison big stars and do all this stuff. Actually, I shouldn't accuse the Yankees of that. The Yankees actually still spend money on players, but I will accuse the Cubs of that because I think the Cubs would love nothing more than to be able to put together a team where they can win for like $80 million and never spend on a huge free agent again. And that is not what the Cubs are supposed to be. That is not what the Yankees are supposed to be. That is not what the Red Sox are supposed to be. That is not what the Dodgers are supposed to be. So some somehow let's pull those teams that are spending like $45, $50 million a year up, make them double their payrolls, and let's, you know what, keep the cap wherever it is. Once you force those teams to be at $100 million, suddenly, all of a sudden, $140 million for six years of Javier Baez seems totally reasonable because you have to hit that $100 million floor somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And that would, uh, well, those dollars become competitive and then they're driving up the price for these players as well, because, you know, because you're not going to let the Detroit do that. You're going to want to beat them at their game or now Javi's maybe a bad example because it didn't seem like there was too much of a market for Javi just by the fact that he did end up in Detroit, but um, instead of like, you know, some larger market situation. But um, it, it maybe uh, Correa would be a better example. It's like, why wouldn't the Pirates be like, all right, we haven't had a shortstop for five years. <laughs> you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get ourselves a shortstop. You know, I, I think they had pitchers play at shortstop at Who some point last the year. the last but, uh, Pirate shortstop? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Sean Rodriguez? Does Sean Rodriguez count? He was more of a second baseman, right? They have always had a second baseman at short, it seems, you know, they bananas. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, but what I'm saying is like, then the pirates could be like, well, we got to spend a hundred million dollars every single year. Let's get this guy Correa in here. We can get butts in the seats in the ballpark. That'll, you know, they're all doing their calculations. They're going to figure it out. But you know, the, the economics of the game, I think have fundamentally changed for everybody. Um, and I know you wanted to get into this too, Sarah, about like the, the messaging, uh, you know, when talking about, um, the, you know, specifically you, the Ken Rosenthal situation, like how they control, how everybody wants to control the message and MLB is trying to control their message in a very like old way and old media way. Whereas the players have so much more access to, the Twitter and the Facebook. And so it's like, it makes the fans smarter because back in 94, we, you know, I mean, Hey, I was 
you know, 22 and didn't really care that much or, or, you know, it was like, Oh, they're not playing or whatever. But, uh, but you know, back then it was all just in the paper every day and the owners controlled the paper, all these greedy players and these guys, these millionaires play a kid's game and all this stuff. But now we see it for what it is and we know where they're getting the money from. Like people are buying $500 jerseys and you're like, well, what is What's the player getting from that? You know? So these guys are, you know, they're all hustle. It's all the money comes from us. And that is also something that gets forgotten often. It comes from you and me, our cable bill, our internet bill, our, uh, you know, wardrobe bill, <laughs> our hat bill, uh, you know. I am wearing an overpriced W hoodie that is one of my favorite zip up hoodies in the world. So I, I'm not complaining that I bought this at all. I bought it the second it came out. But yeah, I have given the Cubs my fair share of cash for them to pay, pay some players. And and I would like them to extend Wilson Contreras in return. I think that is not too much to ask. I did want to ta- talk about the Rosenthal thing, though, because I think it's illustrative of a couple of problems that we're seeing as these negotiations. I, I don't even know. I would say they're like ongoing, but it sort of seems like they're not really happening. They're just like, you know, there's a deadline out there and they'll deal with it at some point in time. The Rosenthal thing was really interesting to me because I thought, one, it's just a, it's an asinine move by Major League Baseball. I think that Ken Rosenthal is one of the most recognized, respected reporters in the game. MLB Network had him as part of their staff to deliver updates, to give tips, to tell what's happening during trade season, what's going on with the hot stove, like all the things you want Ken Rosenthal for. And to non-renew his contract because he dared to criticize Rob Manfred, who last time I checked was getting booed Every single time he came to the microphone at the draft, every time, like it was incredible watching Rob Manfred. He got booed more than Tom Ricketts got booed over the marquee decision. And and that is saying a lot. Shout out to the time Tom Ricketts told us that we would all, we would not be booing him anymore. We're still booing you, Tom. Get get some extensions done. (laughs) Um, I think that MLB network and MLB by proxy has shown they are only interested in Carping for the owners, carping for the game, no criticism of Rob Manfred. It's petty, it's small, and it shows why the players don't trust them to offer a fair deal, right? Like the play, you know who the players trust? The players trust Ken Rosenthal. The players yeah. give interviews to Ken Rosenthal. They give him tips. They tell him things because they know he's a journalist with integrity who will tell their story in a way that reflects the love of the game and respect of them as human beings. And you know who they don't trust to do that? Rob Manfred. So MLB is just telling on themselves by doing things like this. It is illustrative of all of the problems that are, in my opinion, going to at least delay spring training. And I, and I hope it doesn't cost an entire MLB season, but I think that there is not going to be spring training games on my birthday as I was promised. (laughs) Well, that that's very sad. And and it's also sad because like Ken Rosenthal, as you said, he's a trusted voice and like the guy is just like a really nice nerdy little man. Like nobody, could there be anybody less threatening in the world than freaking Ken Rose? He's got a bow tie for God's sake. I mean, the <laughs> man is like, so not threatening and then Rob Manfred can't handle it. Oh man, do you have thin skin, bro? Like that is rough. If you're if you're threatened by Ken Rosenthal, that you need to publicly, I guess, make an example of him. Be like, we will not tolerate this kind of insubordination in our organization, which is basically what he said. 
You know, if you're not a mouthpiece for us and the owners and Major League Baseball, whatever message we're trying to put out there, then you're not one of us and you're either with us or against us and you're gone. So it makes no sense. Now, Ken Rosenthal, with all his inside information, can say whatever he wants because now he's not employed by those idiots. And so now he's like, I know the athletic just got sold to the New York times and stuff like that. But, and, but now Ken Rosenthal's like, doesn't have that kind of like devil on his shoulder, you know, telling him not to, or the angel, I should say, don't say that, you know, that would be wrong. You know, now Ken Rosenthal can spill the beat. Like that was so dumb. You could have just kept paying him. And he would have said every now and again, something against you. And it would have made you look okay because you're like, Oh, see MLB network. They're being fair about themselves. And and what he said wasn't even that bad. It was oh, no. about how the the negotiations in 2020 sucked. Yeah, that piece was tame. I was reading that. I was reading through that piece, and I was like, "Man, if this is what gets you blacklisted at MLB Network, I have no shot." Like there, I I have been. <laughs> I'm on a list somewhere, right? I think it was Craig Calcaterra. <laughs> In his Substack, who said that he referred to MLB Network as Pravda, which <laughs> was like literally Soviet tactics over there from Rob Manfred, who is this the pettiest dictator in the world, it and is. also and I think also the man in charge of whether of whether we see baseball. Unfortunately, sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, no, I was just I was going to agree. I just it, they're out of touch is all I was going to say. I was just going to add that you know just they they are so out of touch with reality. And and how people think about Rosenthal, how people think about MLB Network, like nobody would have noticed if you just kept, like kept him on and gave him less jobs. Like nobody, you know what I mean? Like I don't know. It's just it's so thin skinned. And and Ken Rosenthal, like you know, he he is he is. I wouldn't say he's like he's not even the voice of baseball. Like there's lots of guys that are like Heyman. There's a bunch of people. They all, I kind of lump them in in my head. Rob Manfred firing him brought attention right. to this situation. I'm like, dude, just pay him. And he's not mostly not going to say bad things about you, you know, but he, there's like, no, we got to get Rosenthal out of here before this gets out of hand. I'm like, what? The man's in a bow tie. He's four foot six. Like, what is your problem? <laughs> I, I did meet Ken Rosenthal once. And I have to confess that Ken Rosenthal is like two or three inches taller than me. Uh so, and you're four foot two. I am. I, I'm not four <laughs> foot two, but I am pretty short. I, you mentioned MLB being out of touch, and that's a really nice segue to our next topic before we go to a quick break, which is Hall of Fame balloting. The deadline for ballots to be turned in is uh, next week. The announcement comes on the 25th. Am I right about that? Who get who got in? Who got out? I think the 25th is the deadline. I could be I could be wrong about when the announcement is. But as of this moment in time, right. according according to Ryan Thibodeau, not Mr. Tibbs, the Hall of Fame tracker, which is outstanding. If you're not following him on Twitter, give him a follow. Uh, we would have three new electees to the Hall of Fame right now. I will caution that historically these vote totals have always gone down when the non-public ballots get added. So what me saying these totals right now just means that they're above the 75% mark on the Hall of Fame tracker, that does not necessarily mean them being in as a done deal. Uh, right now, it would be David Ortiz leading the way with 83.7% of the vote. That seems pretty close to he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, which then gets very interesting because Barry Bonds is currently sitting at 77.7% of the vote. And look, 
I watched Bonds pre-steroids and I watched Bonds post-steroids. He was a Hall of Famer before he did the juice, but he definitely juiced like it was pretty obvious to anyone watching. However, a Hall of Fame that doesn't have Barry Bonds but does have David Ortiz just seems bonkers to me. Like, I can't even fathom it. Well, you got to put them all in now. You know, that's and maybe this is like the test balloon and you start putting some of them in, but some of them might drop off. Like, I believe Sammy Sosa is in danger of dropping off. It's going to take like a Veterans Committee situation. Yep. And, you know, and that that's just a shame to me. It's like to they're just gatekeeping. And really, it's it's kind of like the Manfred situation. It's like now you have no credibility. Like I, I like the fact that they kept Santo out for so long, the fact that they kept Buck O'Neill out of the hall of fame who just got put in by the veterans committee. And the fact that these guys have to be uh, inducted posthumously is it's pathetic. And I'm just, I'm sick of their crap. I'll, I'll be honest about this. Like the hall of fame is really left a bad taste in my mouth recently. I'm sick of the steroids argument. You know what? The pitcher was on steroids. The hitter was on steroids. Like, whatever, may the best steroids win. I, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care. I really don't care anymore. Like, it's, I know a lot of people do. And, you know, kudos to you. Like, it's cheating. It was absolutely cheating. Some guys did it, but the, and the but the big guys did it. And why did they do it? They just wanted to recover from injuries and it's wear and tear of the whole thing and the bright lights. And you know what? MLB made a butt ton of money on those guys doing steroids and, and doing, a, you know, 200 strikeouts a year and uh, hitting the ball over the fence 60 times, you know? So I don't want to hear it now when, like, you know, they want to gatekeep at the back end. And so I'm just done. You know, I, I say put them all in and it's a – and uh, I don't know how I feel about Bonds. I hated him as a player. Like, I never wanted – I mean, I appreciated him, but he never, was never on the Cubs, so I never wanted him up against our team, you know? But if he gets in, he deserves to be there. I, I mean – you're right. He was a Hall of Famer before, but then you got to look at the other dudes like Clemens and a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of guys, you know, that uh, probably should be in. According to the tracker, Clemens would be in right now too. He's at 76.5%. I think that that is not quite high enough to push him back um, against the surge of votes. That's probably going to pull him down a little bit. I just am more of the mind of Look, I get it. I understand why the writers vote for the Hall of Fame, and I understand why you have to be a BBWAA member for 10 years to get that ballot. They don't want just anybody voting for the Hall of Fame. What would happen if Danny or I had votes to the Hall of Fame? Anybody knows it would be chaos. Nobody, nobody oh God, knows yeah, what that I can't, would look like. Because I can't look up stats, nor have I ever watched these guys play the same amount of these other. I mean, that's the my, my first problem with it at this point is who gets to pick. You know, at this point, I feel like there should be weighted ballots. I feel like the players should get in there way earlier. Former players should have a vote. Uh, the, the guys that played with those other the players that are on the ballot should have a vote um, that is weighted. Uh, the managers, the uh, front office staff, the scouts, you know, like what they you're telling me baseball scouts don't get a vote. And some guy that like works at the Pittsburgh Courier for 10 years does that got in because his uncle was the freaking editor. Like what I'm saying is like, there is no, you know, these guys write about baseball. They watch it every day. That is not particularly special anymore as uh, <laughs> you and I on this podcast might attest to. And I would, I would, I don't even think I deserve a vote. Like, I don't think I know enough. Like I don't care about enough of like the comparisons. I'm just a Cubs fan, Sarah, you know, enough, you know, and, and 
you know what I mean? Like you would know enough to look through, like to already know, like maybe even memorize, like, you know, war and, and every, like, what is the average war of a, of a hall of famer versus, uh, let's say, well, the John Lesser just retired, but there's an argument there. Like, is he, is he a hall of famer? And, you know, there are arguments. They're not too many stat arguments for it because he seems under in those respects, but there's other things that you could wait that, you know, championships, for example, or big game pitching or, you know, things that we've seen with our eyes. And I think it's all worth something. And it's a shame that just like, it's just this limited men's club and it is mostly men that get to vote for this stuff. And, and and people that have been around it, the game in so many other aspects that can judge things better than sports writers have no say. It makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, to, to talk about Lester for one second, I cannot believe I forgot Lester on the rundown at uh, cheers to John Lester. Great career. Great guy. I wish BDJ. I had a Miller light to cheers with here. Uh, I think that would be appropriate, but I don't, he's going to have to what settle. Drinking, for, he's going to have to settle for some Chardonnay tonight but John Lester what a gamer grittiest pitcher I have ever seen that man would just go out and get it done for the Red Sox for the Cubs a little bit for the A's and the Nationals and the Cardinals but they don't really get him the way that Cubs fans and Red Sox fans do I do think that John Lester will get him but it's going to be a really interesting case and I don't think that he'll get in the first five or six years that he's on the ballot I think what's going to happen is he's going to kind of inch up a little bit here a little bit there and long about 10 years from now, so, you know, 2031, Danny and I are going to be sitting here talking about John Lester's case for the Hall of Fame in his sixth year on the ballot. And what's going to have happened is the number of pitchers who even approach 200 wins or the number of innings that he had or the postseason resume that he had is going to have fallen off the map because all of the benchmarks that we think of as Hall of Fame benchmarks for pitchers will not be met anymore in going forward. I mean, like Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, those are probably the last of a generation of pitchers that the the game is just going to fundamentally shift. Tyler Glass now is never going to hit those numbers, right? Like yeah. 3,000 strikeouts, CeCe Sabathia and, and Max Scherzer, that's probably it for 3,000 strikeouts. Like, I don't know who else is going to get to that to that benchmark in the future, the way starting pitchers are managed. And I think that once we start to retrospectively look at that, John Lester is going to look a lot more like a Hall of Famer, particularly because of the postseason resume that you talked about. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's another thing. These things all change at different points in time, right? Like there was a time where home runs never happened. And then Babe Ruth came along and they tightened up the ball. And now all of a sudden home runs happen all the time. And that's just a fundamentally different way that baseball is played now. And the Hall of Fame should respect that. It should be a place to celebrate the players who you cannot tell the story of the game of baseball without. And I think that that's a reason that Ortiz should be in there. It's probably a reason that Bonds should be in there too. And frankly, we're just going to have to get over this whole steroids thing. If if Bonds goes in, in my humble opinion, as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, Sammy Sosa has to go in later. Yeah. By, by a veterans well, committee, but later. Yeah. I mean, Pete Rose too. I mean, you got to look at his situation and you know, the problem with a lot of these guys is they're such so, Kurt Schilling is a prime example of this as well. They're, they're bad people. So they, they never can get close enough. Like they try to do the redemption tour. It never works out because they always end up being themselves. And there's that aspect to it too, is that you have to be the gentleman and, you know, do the tour. And I could, yeah, you got to do, you kind of have to do the hall of fame five-year 
tour around, play a little golf with this guy and that guy. And, you know, it's just, it's that whole kind of uh, nepotistic uh, paternalism situation. That's it. Th- that's what's bothering me about this situation, especially when they, everybody tries to at the, as I said, at the back end gatekeep it and start judging these guys that, in in the moment when they were playing, they weren't saying anything about it. So totally. We are um, well overdue for a break here. So we are going to take a quick break oh yeah. for our sponsors. However, on the flip side, you will not want to miss this. We are going to talk about another way this episode is a little bit unconventional. We're going to celebrate Rachel Balkovic and all of the women who are just making moves in MLB right now. It is a pretty phenomenal thing. She will be the manager uh, of the Yankees A-ball team when the season starts, if the season, well, the minor leagues are going to happen. So she will be the manager of the A-ball team. And we're going to talk about it on the flip side, but first a quick word from our sponsors. All right, Danny, I am actually going to toss this question to you because our listeners probably know exactly where I stand on the wonderful Rachels who exist in MLB these days. We've got Rachel Balkovic. We've got Rachel Folden with the Cubs. We've got Rachel, uh, is it for... I'm blanking on the last name uh, in the Red Sox front office. It starts with an F. I'll, I'll look it up while I, while Danny's answering the question. But Danny, what was your reaction to the Yankees making a little bit of history in the coolest way possible and hiring a manager who is a woman for the first time for one of their minor league teams? Every time something like this happens, I'm always just kind of more relieved than happy. And uh, because it, Every time, every time that a, a injustice is righted, I like think of all the people in the past that uh, the that let all the Rachels are that are standing on the shoulders of that have paved the way for for them to be in the position that they're in right now. And it's like the, you know they segregate. I'm going to take it a little bit far back, get a little philosophical for a moment, but they separate boys and girls so weirdly. And if you think about it, it is weird that when you're like five or like I got two sisters, we played in the street. My sister doesn't throw like a girl, quote unquote. You know, she throws like a person like you throw and uh, she plays baseball. My little sister, same thing. We played in the street all day, boys, girls, everything. It didn't matter. We're playing in the street. And then for whatever reason, when when I when we turned six and seven or something like that, I started playing baseball and she had to play softball. And there was no reason for that. Like, there's no reason that all of a sudden you can't play together because we're both the same size. We're seven. Like, it makes no, none of it. In fact, the girls are bigger until junior high, you know, usually. So it none of it makes any sense. And then all of a sudden they just segregate you out. And then one, some people pay, play softball and some people play baseball. Well, anybody that pays attention and loves baseball or softball, that sport, you know, has watched college softball and be like, oh, my God, these women are throwing, you know, a million miles an hour underhand. And like they're really hitting it. And like, you know, it, these are true athletes. They're doing things that are spectacular, that are, are absolutely amazing, that most humans cannot do. These women are achieving it because they're amazing athletes. But they got segregated out years and years and years ago. So they're, they're, they'll never play baseball. Well, now you see a few more girls baseball leagues, some girls, but it's still rare. So the unlikeliness of somebody to come up through the ranks and she had to do a lot. She had to lie about even her sex. Like she kind of changed her name a little bit. Rachel called herself Ray and thought that maybe that would get get her an interview. And so, uh, you know, 
there she had to work her way up. Rachel Fold is another one. Work your way up. Just to be so amazing. Like the best ever at your profession, like know about hitting, know about managing a team, know about like uh, this Rachel that got, uh, what's her last name? Sorry, Balkovic. Rachel Balkovic got hired by the Yankees. She's a catcher. She's got a catcher's mind. She, she, you know, she's the field general. Like that's who she is. She's great at managing people. She like, that's what she does. And why the, now she's finally getting her shot and it took her being the absolute greatest of all time at what she's doing at, to even get that job. Cause I, I know that the Yankees aren't handle, handing this out just to like be woke or something like that. This, they don't Yankees don't run that way. You know, this is not to like, Oh, maybe more women will watch us. Like, no, this is the best person for the job. And I, I think it's incredible and I hope to see more of it. I hope there's less segregation in the sport. Sarah, you're, you yourself are a trailblazer just having a podcast you know, and there's a lot more women that are getting chances because of new media, because the old media never hired them. So you just had to be pretty girl on the sideline and that's all you ever got to be. And so now you see Beth Moen's doing the announcing and it's like the women are moving into this sphere in a way that's huge. And I, I couldn't be happier because it seems like an injustice that's long overdue to be even semi-righted, which one baseball manager in the minor leagues is not even close to where we need to be, but we'll get there. I, th- yeah. I believe that, that we'll, we'll have more coaches. We'll have more, uh, analytics, uh, scouts, uh, all of the jobs in baseball are going to be, there's going to be more gender equity and I couldn't be happier. So I, I, I imagine you feel similarly. <laughs> oh, I, I'm thrilled. I am Raquel Ferreira is the Red Sox front office exec who I was blanking on and uh, a woman who wisely decided that she didn't want to interview for the Mets opening, which I wouldn't have wanted to either. Uh, the no, I I, I want to unpack a couple of things here because I first of all, the fact that you even have to say this is not the Yankees being particularly woke. They literally won't let their players have beards. The, the Yankees are not a woke organization. <laughs> they they are still mad. Like they're still enforcing a rule that was implemented during the 60s and 70s to try to keep hippies off their team. So so let's just be real clear. The Yankees are in they're it for the Yankees. The yeah. The Yankees are in it for the Yankees. They want a competitive edge and that is it. I think it is incredible. And I don't mean incredible in a good way. I mean incredible in like a very unbelievable that it has taken this long for a team to say, you know, perhaps we should evaluate the entire population instead of just half the population when looking for managerial talent. Because there's nothing particularly necessary about having played Major League Baseball that mandates you will be a good coach of a team, right? Like, let's just, Joe Madden was a minor league player. He became a manager. He worked his way through the system. He's a great manager. He's been the manager of the Rays and the Cubs and the Angels. He's a great manager. Did he play Major League Baseball? I, I, I think I'm right about this. Like, I don't recall. Maybe he- like five minutes. Like, I think he might have been in there for five minutes. Like, I I know the, the famous ones are like Earl Weaver. I know like Connie Mack. Like, you got to go way back for guys. But a lot of them didn't play 
have like huge careers. They were on teams and stuff like that. But so, but so are were these women. Rachel right. Bolden was on a team, lots of teams. She, you know, she, this is every day. She's a coach. She's a, you know, I don't see the difference. So you hit a softball, you hit a baseball. Like, uh, uh, Rachel Balkovic has a degree, a master's in kinesiology, you know, like she knows how the body moves. That's what the job is. Like she's trying to, you know, and with all the technology, you're parsing that out. Like, what does this have to do with your gender at this point? You know, like none of it. Totally. I, I just look, Madden Madden played some A-ball. He did not play anything above A-ball. It is, and look, this is not a hit to Joe Madden. I think I think Joe Madden is a great manager, right? Like I think Joe Madden did an awesome job as the manager of the Cubs. I'm forever grateful for that 2016 World Series. You can never take it away from us, no matter how hard you try. I just feel like the job is communicating, the job is motivating, the job is putting together the pieces, keeping players healthy keeping them wanting to give it their all and do their best. I, there's a lot, you know, longtime listeners of the show know that I spent a bunch of time as a national circuit debate coach. Um, and, and obviously debate and baseball are very different things. But the the theoretical idea of there are 100 people that you are trying to move in a certain direction and you want all of them to improve in ways that help out everybody so that the whole is greater than the parts, like that whole thing that systemically is not all that different from managing a project at work or managing a sports team or managing a training schedule. Like there's all sorts of different ways these things come together. And if MLB continue, had continued to limit itself to the only universe of people that we will consider for this one particular job are people who played Major League Baseball, that is folly because you're limiting yourself to a tiny segment of the population when the job has very little to do with having been able, having fast twitch muscle reflexes that made you able to hit a ball (laughs) that came in 96 miles per hour. Right. Like all, like you were saying, when we were all seven, eight, nine, I learned baseball at little league practice with my brother. I wasn't on the team, but my dad was the coach and I was at the practices. And so Every now and again, I'd get a glove and go out and shag fly balls and everything else. I was good enough to like be on the field during practice. I just couldn't put on the uniform and play for some reason. Are you telling me that my brother absorbed some type of knowledge that is fundamentally different than I did at those practices because he had a uniform? I don't don't think he did. And I, I don't think that, and I think that we're seeing that generation of women who were exposed to these ideas, who frankly probably were also exposed to other ideas. Who is that reliever for the for the San Francisco Giants? Tyler Rogers, I think. He's got like a weird submarine delivery and he was closing games for them for a while. That pitch is a rice ball. Like I know we call it like, oh, it's it's like this weird submarine fast. That's a rice ball. It's a softball pitch. Like you can go look at softball fast pitch pitchers and look at what Tyler Rogers is doing. It's the same exact deception, right? There are probably dozens of ways that softball could inform baseball. And that knowledge has just been cut off from players until recently, because there were no coaches who had that experience to come in. And and I'm so, I'm glad the Cubs have Rachel Folden in their, in their, system. She's awesome. Friend of the show, Rachel Folden. Happy, happy birthday, Rachel. I know that uh, yeah. she just, she's celebrating her birthday today. Is that right? 
Or was it yesterday? Uh, I, it was it. It was. It might have been yesterday. I wished her happy birthday. It came up. We're Facebook friends, so it came up on my little birthday list, and I was like, "Hey, happy yeah. birthday, Rachel!" It came up. I, I saw uh, it on Twitter, and I, I thought that was great. But you know, it's not just the Rachels. It, it's it's Raquel Ferreira. It's Kim Ng. It's you got Alyssa knocking coaching at, with the Giants. Honestly, I that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And and there are more women coming, right? Like it's not just new media. It's not just play by play. It's not just managing. It's not just hitting coaches. Like they're they're gonna just keep coming. And props to the Yankees for recognizing that they had somebody really talented in their system who would be a great manager, and they're giving her a shot. And I think it's great. Well, listen, they've got twenty some odd championships to twenty seven. Is that what it is? It's like some some ridiculous. Is that am I right about that? They got twenty seven championships. <laughs> Yeah, for 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 a reason they've got you know they've always looked for the best way to maximize their organization. They've they're a world class organization. They have been for a long time. They've got a lot of tradition. I think it, and and hey, they've had a woman, uh, Susan Walden Waldman, yeah, Susan do their uh, radio call for I mean for uh, over a decade at least you know so and she's fantastic. She's one of the best that I've ever heard. I love, I tune into, yeah, I don't like the Yankees at all, but I tune into that broadcast because I really like her. But, um, you know, this comes uh, with some history to it. You know, uh, I've interviewed Bob Kendrick from the Negro League Baseball Museum years and years ago. And I, I, after I read a book called Only the Ball Was White. And I forget if these women are featured in there, but the Negro Leagues also were, were, uh, you know, well, they've been gone since the, early sixties. Uh, but they were, uh, innovative in actually having women play in those leagues. And those are now considered major leagues. So you've got, um, like Tony stone, uh, peanut Johnson and Connie Morgan being the most famous that played the game. And, and sometimes it was a bit of a sideshow, but those were major league play. I mean, Tony stone batted against satchel page. If you need to know uh, in a professional baseball game. So, This could have been different. Like this already existed 70 years ago, 80 years ago. And uh, now uh, we're we're finally getting its due. This is four generations removed from when it already existed in another major league in the United States. So I just wanted to point that out. And the other thing I want to point out is that it is kind of happening again because Genevieve Beacom, uh, this pitcher in Australia, lefty, crafty lefty, is like killing it in the Australian baseball league. And like, that is a major league of Australia. So it's, it's a matter of time. And we used to argue about this uh, backstage at NBC with David Kaplan. And almost everybody agreed that there would be women that played, you know, eventually that it's going to happen. Only meatheads say no. I mean, what was that show on Fox for a while pitch where they had, um, Oh, I forget her name. Kylie. Bumbery or Burberry, I cannot, I, I'm going to mess up her last name because I didn't prep this for today, but, and she's a, she's a pitcher. She's a relief pitcher in the Padres organization. And Hey, that was a fantastic show. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty salty still that Fox canceled it after like eight episodes. Cause I thought it was pretty great, but the, I think that that's the way it happens, right? Like pitching is one of those things where if you have a great pitch and you can get three outs, nobody cares. <laughs> about the rest of it, right? Yeah. Like you can get three outs. You are useful to a major league baseball team. And if you've got a woman who can, who can develop a pitch that gets three outs in a, in a game, then I think that you've probably got somebody who can make it 
into the minors and potentially into the majors. I, I hope I see it in my lifetime. It will be, I'm going to tear up at the idea of it. It will be an incredible day if I get to see that in my lifetime. Oh, Danny, I, I'm going to need will, you to rescue me here I, for a second. I'll, I'll cry too. No, I, and, and I do think it will be my prediction. This is what we talked about before. A, a, I think it's going to be a lefty pitcher. And I think they're going to develop a pitch that nobody can hit and nobody can see. And it's going it, to, they're going to throw the hard stuff for a strike. They're, they'll throw the soft stuff for a strike, but it'll look like it's going to braid you before it, before it drops right in over the plate. And, uh, you know, I think that's the way it's going to happen. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, look at Kyle Hendricks now. He throws 88, but 88, 89, uh, but that's a, a good example of, you know, somebody that can go up there, toss the soft stuff, be really specific about it. And gal darn it. If, if we would just stop segregating little kids that are the same size at this age. And you know what? Ask the boys if they want, what do you guys like better? You want to throw it underhand? You want to throw it overhand? You want to play with a little ball or the big ball? And then boys and girls can go play softball together. I play softball you know like we have this in chicago with the 16 inch and everything is all co-ed teams not all but like we have a lot of co-ed teams but you know it doesn't matter i got my mom born in 1938 i got footage of her she was a nun okay in the 50s she was a nun i have footage of this of this woman playing baseball in a habit in like 1956 I, I I'll show the footage. I, I put it on Twitter before and Facebook. She's playing baseball in a nun's outfit with her brothers when they came to visit her at the convent. So don't tell me that women can't play baseball. This has been happening. Just stop segregating everybody. Let the boys go play softball if they want to play it that way and let the girls, everybody, it should all be co-ed. It's baseball for God's sakes. Let okay, it be well a meritocracy. I'm going to be checking out Danny's Twitter to see this picture of his mom, the nun, which Danny, I have I'm some gonna, questions, but we, we can talk about that later. Like, I want to see pictures of Danny's mom, the nun playing baseball. I think that that sounds pretty incredible. Uh, Danny, if other people want to see pictures of your mom playing baseball in a habit, how can they find you on Twitter? Oh, uh, at Sonranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. You take the Ron Santo and you switch the R and the S and there I am. Woohoo. Uh, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. When Andy is back, you can find her at, at BRYZ underscore blue. You can find all of us at, at Cup of Cubby Blue, where we are coming back each week with news about baseball or not baseball or when we can expect baseball, what's going on with the Hall of Fame, the lockout, and more, and where we are always celebrating every Rachel who's making it big in MLB. Until next time. Go, Rachel.